Welcome to the Carolina Contractor Show with your host, General Contractor Donnie Blanchard. Brought to you by GAF. We protect what matters most. Welcome back to another edition of the Carolina Contractor Show. My name is Eric Smith. Across from me, General Contractor Donnie Blanchard. Say hi to everybody, Donnie. Hey there. Donnie's a general contractor. I like to say he's the brains. I'm the beauty. And what is the Carolina Contractor about? It's about your house, the inside, the outside. We like to talk about electricity and plumbing and roofs and and all sorts of stuff. We like to talk about things that aren't directly connected to your house, but might be part of it, like a swimming pool or a, a backyard grilling station, stuff like that. And we also have a website up, and that's a great place to start, thecarolinacontractor.com. We've got past episodes you can download in podcast form. We've got videos and Facebook and social media links. And we also have something on it called Ask the Contractor, which would be Ask the Donnie Blanchard, because again, he's a general contractor. You have a question about your house. Maybe you're walking around and wondering why water rolls over your gutters in a rainstorm, or why is your fascia rotted or what should you do when you notice your crawl space is damp things that you just have a question about and you want a professional opinion you click on that button fill out the information ask your question and it goes right to donnie donnie came up with a great idea a while back and said once in a while we need to dedicate a show to nothing but questions about your house you still have time to ask so go to the website the carolinacontractor.com and click on ask the contractor but today's show nothing but questions, and we got a lot of them, and they were just, some of them, just printed out. Are you ready, Donnie? Just got my double A in my thinking cap. He's got double Let's A go. going. He's looking all tan and rested, too. All right, here we go. Question number one sent to the Carolina contractor. We came back from our vacation, and it took a full day for our house to cool to a decent temperature. Should we have our HVAC unit checked? I always say yes to this, and we commented on last week's show that this is the dead horse that we beat because um, it's a no-brainer. It doesn't cost very much to do that, and I recommend at least twice a year having your HVAC serviced. That's a big-ticket item on your house, and if you can get an extra five years just by being smart and doing the right thing, I feel like it's a no-brainer. But um, yeah, uh, with this situation, basically they turned their heating and air completely off for a week while they went on vacation. And I always say that that's a mistake as well, because you don't have anything to dehumidify the house for that week. And, and not to say that a week is too long, but it shouldn't go much longer than that without some sort of conditioned air in there. And these particular folks had an all electric heat pump. And mm. so uh, with a heat pump, it can only change the temperature of the air by 20 degrees. So when they came back, their house was in the high 80s. It basically had to get down to uh, the 70s outside for the heat pump to be able to catch up. And so I always recommend that maybe leave your system on 78 or so mm -hmm. uh, when you're gone. And if you have a programmable thermostat, of course, that's something you can control through your Wi-Fi. And the day that you're going to leave your vacation spot and, and head home, you can actually get it started that morning and it'll give you a better chance to catch up and be comfortable when you get there. But uh, yes, a heat pump can only change the ambient temperature by 20 degrees. So uh, hot in, hot out until the sun goes down. And you're one of those people, Donnie, you're the first one I met that had the app so you could control your HVAC yeah. unit, your thermostat remotely. You use it just sometimes when you've finished at the office and you're headed home, you make the adjustment too. I do. Yes, sir, I do. And um, I actually have one on our uh, the second home and uh, my system upstairs is zoned. So I always comment that I have a, a zone in my master suite. Uh, the girls have their own zone and my son has his own zone. And I have programmable thermostats on all the zones. So not only can I control the temperature of the house, you know, if somebody's uh, not going to be around, I can leave their 
uh, zone to be more energy efficient. And if uh, I've got the whole family, of course, I can turn everybody's thermostats down at once. Or if some one of the kids is being a jerk and go, hey, try living in 88 degrees, yeah, yeah. the heat in the middle of summer. I've definitely done that for punishment. Mm-hmm. You know what? It's one of our God-given rights when we have kids. <laughs> All right. Question number two sent to the Carolina contractor. What are the pros and cons of pre-finished hardwood? Pre-finished has been around for a while, but it became really popular, say, about 20 years ago. And um, I actually put it in my very first house that I built after college. The selling point on this stuff is that it's coated with seven layers of polyurethane, where, you know, the average hardwood floor only has two or three. So it's like a Skittle. Uh, Yeah, kind of, sort of. And there's no sanding necessary. So this stuff comes right out of the pack, bright and shiny. Um, You can put it down. And when you put it down, you're done pretty much. And it looks great for a while is what I'll say about that. And uh, I had an English bulldog uh, and my pre-finished hardwood, and they didn't get along very well. So she what was, was kind of- What she, was the name? Uh, Chloe. Chloe, okay. Yeah. Got to always know the pet name. Yeah, and she was pretty much my first kid almost. Uh, awesome dog, but she was pretty heavy, and uh, her nails definitely did a number on the pre-finished hardwood. And uh, when the guy that sold it to me said, hey, you know, it's almost pet proof. You know, it's really hard to scratch because of the extra layers of poly, and that just wasn't true. You didn't know Chloe. Right. And, um, you know, the fact that it can still scratch and then- uh, the fix is even harder because uh, the way that these boards come together and look like they blend is they have a micro bevel. So if you can imagine an ever so slight 45 degree angle cut on the top corner of each piece so that if there's any variation in the thickness, when they come together, you don't see that as much. It's not as pronounced, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's not an exact science for cutting hardwood. So there are going to be pieces in there that may not uh, fit together too well. And that micro bevel is supposed to offset that when they come together. You know, there's not a, a top coat, so it still has joints for days and um you know basically if you if you spill water on it in a wet area like a, if it's in a bathroom or a kitchen you know what's going to happen is that water's going to penetrate through that joint and a lot of times it'll cause swelling and when wood swells uh, my first boss worded it this way and it doesn't sound right but he said the wood will actually crush itself so that when uh the water or uh, makes its way out of there or it evaporates or whatever uh and the moisture content lessens you know the wood will shrink back and there'll be a gap after that so water causes the swell the swell causes the crush and then uh when it returns back to a normal moisture content there's a big gap there uh where i saw the popularity really decrease on pre-finished hardwoods is when lvp re-engineered the core for luxury vinyl plank is what that's an acronym yeah. for when they re-engineered the core to make the LVP or laminate flooring, people call it floating floors, another slang. They re-engineered the core to make it waterproof so it could basically be used anywhere in the house, and it's exponentially cheaper than both versions of hardwood. And um, just to give a comparison, the real hardwood is all put down unfinished. Of course, someone comes in and sands it all together, so there's mm-hmm. no variation in thickness after that's over. And then when they coat it, you know, of course, they coat it in one solid polyurethane coat that will seal up all those joints so it beads water or anything. Right. And you may have to have it recoated down the road, but I just feel like yeah, the uh, properties of unfinished hardwood that's all finished at the same time uh, far outweigh the, or far better, I'm sorry, than the pre-finished hardwood. And I want to say, if I hear in the near future a band named Joint for Days, we're <laughs> I, copywriting that phrase. I, I did say that, didn't I? Sure did. All right, question number three for the Carolina contractor. Is it true that I need $17,000 in the bank to get my contractor's license? Uh, yeah, you th- definitely know, Donnie. Yep. This came from one of our uh, students that, that listened to the show weekly and, um, uh, basically, this is a question that I had to encounter back in my 20s when I got my contractor license. And it's a misconception that you need 17 grand in the bank and then you just go fill out some paperwork at the licensing board for general contractors in Raleigh. And and that's not it. Uh, basically, when you look at the balance sheet, what it wants you to show them is that you have 17000 in working capital. 
and that is your current assets minus your current liabilities. And um, not to say that this is a loophole, but sort of. Um, just for a limited license, it will allow you to build a house up to um, $500,000 is the cap. And uh, for a limited license is the $17,000 mark. And you don't have to provide a balance sheet from your CPA or accountant. And um, they allow you to fill out your own balance sheet. You do have to show, of course, how much money you have in the bank to contribute to your current assets. But uh, current assets doesn't have to be straight cash. So uh, if anybody needs help with this or needs help with a balance sheet, you know, you can contact me through the website. And I'm happy to take a look at that. And uh, when I got my license, I didn't have 17000 in the bank, not even close. And I, I said a prayer one day. And I literally did this set of prayer, called the licensing board because everybody I would talk to there, uh, just seemed to be so unfriendly and they weren't mm. willing to help me. And uh, I got the nicest lady on the phone and she said, look, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to show. And I legitimately was able to show that, but I had I needed someone to tell me what I could use as current assets that would fly. And of course, I sent my application in. It went right through. I was able to take the test and pass it. And um, and I'm pleased to say that now, you know, so many years later, uh, we've graduated to an unlimited license. So of course, we can uh, you have to show quite a bit more work and capital there, but we've worked our way to that point, and uh, now we're unlimited with a residential and commercial license. Why seventeen thousand? Why not fifteen or twenty? I wish there, I knew. There's now, and it's been seventeen for forever. It's been seventeen. So it's not for even adjusted years. for inflation. No, no. <laughs> how how odd is that? All right, more questions from people who submitted them at thecarolinacontractor.com. Clicked on the little ask the contractor button. We have a window in our breakfast area. I wonder if it's a nook, and birds fly into the window and. And birds fly into the window often. What can we do to prevent that? We have it here at the lovely Smoke Tree Tower. They yeah. just bam Boom. hits the window. Yeah, and that's a seven-story drop. If they hit us. Ouch. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I guess the big bigger issue is to say why do they why do they do this? Because yeah. it seems to be a pretty common problem. And uh, the indicator on this breakfast area, well, there's several reasons why they do it. But on that breakfast area, usually a breakfast area has windows on all three sides. Mm-hmm. So, um, or a and, big bay window. Exactly. Well, in this particular instance, um, I, I talked to these folks about did, did it hit the center window or one of the side? And, of course, it's always the side window because when they're looking through that window in flight, they can see through to the other window. So they just assume that it's a straight passage through the breakfast area. Uh, another reason is uh, you have windows that have a – high reflection of like a, a skyline or a sky view. Mm-hmm. And so they don't realize that they're not flying up or they kind of, their orientation is off. Um, another reason that, that I've seen this happen is that you have plants by a window and they're basically flying down to perch on the plant and crash right into the window. Mm-hmm. Um, Robinson Cardinals, and those are the two indigenous to our area are, uh, they're so territorial that uh, there've been cases where they're, they're basically um, chasing after their own reflection. So they, they're thinking that they're, going after another bird, and then they crash into this it, glass wall. It sounds to me like birds are idiots. Yeah. Well, well, what can we do to stop it? Though? Yeah, okay. On this particular instance, they didn't want blinds in their breakfast area because they enjoyed the natural light, but they added blinds to the window, and they said the problem was solved. A few other things, if you absolutely don't want blinds, they sell some bird-shaped stickers, as funny as that sounds, on Amazon. So mm-hmm. uh, basically, you would just add decoy bird stickers to your window, and sure, that doesn't look too pleasant. It might get you picked on by your neighbors, but mm. that will work. Uh, they do have line patterns uh, that you can apply to the outside of a window, but that is very unsightly and don't recommend that. They have things like window mesh, or if you don't have a screen on that window, that could be the problem and just add the screen. And uh, I guess the last thing I've saw people do was add 
chimes or hang mm. chimes outside of the window and that seems to work sounds like it's a, a real life angry birds <laughs> yes it does all right moving on with the questions to the carolina contractor uh donnie i have a question for you our attic is extremely hot in the summer we are considering using the energy star shingles or potentially lighter colored metal what's your take and I'm not familiar with the Energy Star shingles. Yeah, well, there is a line of uh, shingles that qualify for Energy Star, and they're usually lighter in color, so they'll be almost oh, like a okay. lighter gray or a whitish color, and um, I, I'm not they, a fan. I call them your roof looks faded color. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. It looks like an old roof going on new, and um, <laughs> they're so costly. I just tell people it's not worth it. Uh, the shingles cost triple what just an average shingle does, and it has a tax credit. They try to pitch that, but the tax credit is so minimal, it doesn't cover that increase on the on the price. The shingles do work sort of like they're supposed to, but I think you really, if you gauged it by a thermometer in your attic, I don't think you'd be pleased with the results for the money spent. I always steer folks towards Radiant Barrier, and we used to do this as a service, but we're just too busy now. But Radiant Barrier is basically like a heavyweight tinfoil with fiber woven in so that it's okay. hard to tear. And uh, it's a, when you go into some people's attic that may have this, it looks like something space age. It's, mm-hmm. it's very, everything shiny and with a mirror texture. Like uh, a disco. Exactly. But this stuff simply staples on the bottom side of uh, the rafters. And, you know, you can put it up with button caps like we use in the roofing world. And that seems to hold it pretty good. But uh, rolls of radiant barrier come in three to four foot widths. And, you know, you, I wouldn't recommend it this time of the year. But if you know that's something that you're going to encounter in, say, the, the fall when the temperature breaks or even in early spring, you could get up there and, and do this yourself. Um, insulation companies normally offer radiant barrier as a service. They can usually buy the materials so cheap that the labor in materials usually cost something similar to what you can buy the materials for. So mm. I always recommend somebody getting a professional to install it. But if you are handy and you do have the proper tools, it's definitely something that falls in the DIY category. Now, Radiant Barrier only works like it's supposed to if your roof is properly ventilated. And with the uh, roof ventilation it, it being one of the most important things, I tell people all the time, uh, we prefer GAF shingles, but uh, all the shingle manufacturers agree on one thing, and that's roof ventilation. They all say that that's very important. So uh, the way you check that out is, is go on the outside, or sometimes you can see it from the attic, and all of your soffits should be vented on the eaves of the house. And the easy way to tell what the eave is is anywhere a gutter would be attached to. So the rakes are the triangular part, often called gables. Uh, the eaves are basically the portion of your overhangs that would be closest to the ground where the gutters are attached, and those should have at least perforations every two feet or so. But uh, the way that we do it with new construction, of course, it's perforated along the whole eave, and um, basically that, that with the stack effect, heat rises and causes air to move up through uh, that soffit cavity through the vent holes, and then it makes its way on the back side of the roof decking all the way up to the ridge vent where it exhausts out. You really need to make sure that you have proper intake and proper exhaust through the ridge vent to make the radiant barrier we talked about work like it's supposed to. That's why we have the general contractor and the owner of Suretop Roofing answering questions about your roof. Speaking of which, if you have one, go to the website, thecarolinacontractor.com. Click on Ask the Contractor, and you might be someone who asks this question. My insurance company is making me replace my polybutylene in my house. What is it, and why are they doing that? Yeah, this is pretty common. Um, well, if you can still find polybutylene, uh, basically poly- polybutylene was something that they put in millions of houses from, say, 1975 to, I want to say, the mid-90s. Uh, but what it is, it's a flexible supply pipe, and it's usually gray or blue. Uh, most folks have probably seen it at some point um, because it was so prevalent in, in those houses for years. And um, basically the problem with it is that the plastic in the polybutylene pipe reacts to chemicals in public water supplies. And uh, basically it creates these what they call micro fractures inside and it eventually fails. So uh, basically the insurance company is making them do this 
because it's guaranteed to burst at some point, especially if you're on city water. And the company that made this stuff actually paid out, I think, $750 million settlement and uh, in the mid-90s. And um, if you are questioning whether or not your supply piping is polybutylene, you can usually look on there and you'll you'll see the letters PB, so for polybutylene, and 2110 are the numbers that follow. So if you have anything with a PB on it, you probably want to address that before you have a bigger mess. And um, side note, I think it's kind of funny because city water is what's worse on polybutylene, but city water is better on copper. So if you have copper pipes and you're on a well, the minerals in the well water will copy. Yeah, yes, sir. It'll corrode the copper pipe from the inside out. So I always recommend if you're on a well, go ahead and get that copper pipe changed out before you have a big mess. And there's another lesson they can learn here. Yeah. If you're using a still, you want to use city water when you're <laughs> doing moonshine. Yes, sir. Because you see on the shows, they're always making moonshine out in the sticks yeah. and they're getting, you know, probably well water. So if you're going to use a still, right. city water is the way to go. Because you can't be damaging in them copper pipes. I think they make enough money off of, off of that uh, moonshine. Hey, man, probably... don't talk like that. We got inflation to deal with. <laughs> you got to cut corners somewhere, but you can't on the, on the water. That's true. That's dim- true. You can't diminish your product. All right. Uh, question number uh whatever we've gone through so many <laughs> is it true that you can get shocked in a bathtub during a storm yes absolutely it can wow and a lot of people just don't realize that but it happened to me personally i was a teenager we were living in an older house and uh they didn't have a shower in this particular bathroom just a bathtub so of course i'm in the bathtub and i reach up to turn the water off and when i touched the faucet there is when i got a little buzz it didn't hurt me or anything but it definitely scared me and uh enough to get out of the tub but, um, uh, you know, the answer is, why does this happen? And it usually is in older houses and uh, the plumbing supply lines and the drains are, are the culprit there because they have copper supply lines and cast iron drains. Back to stills. Exactly. And, um, you know, the reason that people don't have this encounter anymore is because most of the plumbing in anything newer is going to be that PEX, the plastic supply lines. And mm-hmm. then the drains, of course, are made out of PVC material and neither one of those are conductors. But, um uh, I know we were just talking about well water a second ago, and uh, the impurities in the well water can also act as a conductor. So I had all three of those bad things going on, and I guess it was my fault for you know taking a chance at it. But that's something that that has really happened to a lot of people in the past. Side note: the PEX, the PEX. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of years ago, I got to watch somebody put in a uh, my not somebody's. They got to put in my water heater, mm-hmm. and he said, "Man, I'm going to put in PEX." And I said, "Can I watch you do this?" And the guy was cool. He said, "Sure." That is a cool little system yes. of how they can make connections now with PEX. Yeah, absolutely. I always tell people if they're going to change to PEX, and especially if they're going to do it themselves, always use the brass fitting. So the, the That's what he did. Yep. And they, you kind of crush them. Yep. You got to have a special clamp. It's a crimping tool, and, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of people try to cut corners and save, you know, 20, 30 bucks on just the fittings alone, and they go with plastic fittings. But that's where, if PEX can fail, that's where it does fail. Soldering a pipe uh, with the copper, I, I had to do this on one of the very first remodels I ever took on, and... Uh, when I say I did a lot of praying at this particular, <laughs> we we were chain, we we cut all the supply lines out, and these people didn't have water for the day, so I had to I had to basically solder my first pipe successfully, and I had seen it done, I had it done with somebody looking over my shoulder, but in this case, you know, I've got a torch, I'm laying there with a an open flame and a floor system, and uh, you know, I'm trying to solder this pipe back together yeah. so I can turn their water back on and. It was kind of funny because I'm, you know, Lord, please help this pipe seal up. And as soon as I said that or thought that or that went through my mind, I watched the solder ring, a little silver solder ring, just take right around the pipe uh, there. And I successfully, what they call, sweated that pipe. Search it up on your own time, P-E-X. A next question for the Carolina contractor is, do I need a dehumidifier in my basement? Now, would that be a finished basement or unfinished? 
Uh, both. Okay. We, we see it all the time. And, and, you know, maybe it's not as common in a finished basement because, uh, you know, with sheetrock on the walls and, uh, of course, the paint being a sealer, if there's any humidity issues in the, the block basement walls where we normally see it, if there's right. any humidity issues in the block basement wall, it kind of masks the problem, but it will eventually make its way to the floor and, and you'll have to deal with it there. But I tell people to check the humidity first uh, okay. to see if there's really a humidity problem or if there's just water intrusion. The, the most important thing you can do is, is stop the source of the moisture. So um, most new basements, this isn't a problem, but we see it on a lot of older homes. And um, if the humidity is in fact present, uh, it's, it's addressing that source is the best way rather than removing the humidity with the dehumidifier. Right. A big source of a basement problem that we see are gutter drains. So the downspout comes down and they pipe it underground and either that drain gets crushed by heavy equipment or, you know, maybe the connection, it's as simple as the connection coming loose uh, subgrade there. When you get a rainstorm and all that volume is channeled to the gutters and then channeled to that downspout, uh, it's dumping all that water every time it rains there to your basement. And if it doesn't have any way to get, you know, 10 feet or so away from the house, then then it's going to find its way somewhere uh, down into your basement walls. But mm-hmm. if in fact you do have a humidity problem and there's a case where you can't find the source of the moisture, I always tell people to make sure that it's piped outside because if you have a dehumidifier that fills up and then it cuts off and you have to dump it. Yep three, four times a day, you're going to be a miserable human being with all those trips up and down the stairs. And uh, it's easy enough to cut a drain line in yeah. so that, that it can uh, it can get to the outside without you having to dump it nonstop. And uh, what I also tell people is that if your heating and air system is located in your basement, a lot of times you, can, you don't need a return. Uh, you can just cut a hole in the supply line or have a heating and air contractor do that mm-hmm. and cut a hole in your supply line to basically positively pressurize, which is what they do on a conditioned crawl space, but you positively pressurize that basement area and that'll take care of uh, most humidity problems. All right. Your mileage may vary, but uh, the company we have that does our uh, bug killing, our exterminator, uh-huh. well, one year the guy went underneath the house. He came out, he said, your wood's fine, no termites. He said, but you have a little bit of moisture. He didn't put a humidifier. He just said, let's start with plastic. Mm-hmm. Put plastic in, came out three months later. He said, solve the problem. Right. We don't need anything else. That's a great point. That vapor barrier is is super critical and uh, it, you know, it extends the life of everything that's in your crawl space and a lot of working parts down there. Uh, your insulation even will, will eventually take on moisture if you don't have that vapor barrier. And yeah. uh, you can almost see it working instantly. Uh, we've, we've put it in houses before that didn't have it. And they called me back out and they said, hey, there's a problem. Uh, and <laughs> the the vapor barrier is wet underneath. And I said, yeah, it's doing what it's supposed to do by keeping that there. But all that moisture otherwise would be into your crawl space. And it's fairly cheap to do. I think uh, the guy that I use, he charges $600 per thousand square feet. So that's uh, about what we yeah. paid for it, somewhere around that. Right. Yeah. A grand $1,200 to solve that problem. And, and it, it saves way more than that down the road. And even if it doesn't solve it 100%, it will definitely have a positive yeah. impact on it. So for it's, sure. it's the right direction. All right, we got time for one more question. I can't believe we we kept on going and going. For the Carolina contractor, my question is, we want to add gravel to our driveway. What is the correct number to use on driveways? Gravel has numbers. A lot of people don't realize. Yeah, um, the short answer is number 67 is what I use to top out a driveway. But it's a misconception that the numbers on the gravel are just on based on size alone. And basically, the numbers on gravel are assigned for usage. So, um, uh, you know, 67 is what's common on a driveway. Uh, if you're putting in a new driveway, I always recommend getting a cheaper load of crusher run, which is what they call, and it compacts down and, and uh, really makes for a nice base. And then you go on top of that with 67. So in the case of a new construction driveway, most of the time we do the crusher run and let all the big trucks get in and out. And towards the end of the construction process, we top everything out with a few loads of 67. But 
like I mentioned, you know, those numbers are assigned for different reasons like compaction. Uh, some gravel is better for drainage and mm-hmm. um, gravel being good for drainage is what sold me on the precast uh, walls. And we mentioned this a few shows back uh, when I said I preferred the precast like superior walls is the common a company that everybody uses around here, but they sit on a gravel base. They don't have a footing. Mm. And mm. the secret to their uh, their claim that they don't, they will not, absolutely not leak, is that they're sitting on a uh, 8 to 12-inch gravel base, and if the water ever makes it down to the bottom of that basement wall, it's going to hit that gravel, which also has corrugated pipe throughout, and it's going to run to a positive drainage. So, you know, the gravel allows uh, the water to escape, and I'm just a, a fan of, of what it does. It's more effective than any waterproofing agent you could use. All right. I, I may have been saying something wrong for many years and not know it. It's crusher run. I thought it was crush and run. You know what? My dad just says it that way. I don't know. Maybe it's an accent. Yeah, could be. Hold on a sec. I got my computer here. <laughs> Fact checking me. Crusher run. How's that spelled? Like Cru- the crusher. Crusher. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. Look at that. I was Who wrong knew? all these years. I always thought it was crush and run. And I thought you're being slang. Yeah. Nope. Crusher run. See, again, not only entertaining, but educational is the Carolina Contractor Show. And if you have a question about your house, go ahead and submit it. We'll do another one of these shows. It's thecarolinacontractor.com. Click on the Ask the Contractor button. So I hope you enjoyed this edition of the questions only show of the Carolina Contractor. And if you need a new roof, by the way, you might be thinking, I can't afford a new roof right now. Have you seen inflation? Have you seen cost of everything? You can finance a roof, suretoproofing.com. You could be financing a brand new roof for as little as like, what, 85 bucks a month? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, definitely under $100 will get you a decent roof on, on an average size house. Very good. So check that out, suretoproofing.com. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time on the Carolina Contractor Show. Thanks for tuning in to the Carolina Contractor Show. Visit thecarolinacontractor.com. Hey, it's Eric Smith, co-host of the Carolina Contractor Show for SureTop Roofing. A brand new roof is even more affordable than ever. SureTop Roofing, your local GAF Master Elite certified roofer, now offers financing plans for as low as $85 a month. That's probably less than your internet or cell phone bill. With approved credit, you can finance that brand new roof for 10 years at 9.9%, and that includes warranties for up to 50 years. But this offer is only available from SureTop Roofing, so schedule your free estimate at SureTopRoofing.com. That's SureTopRoofing.com.